in purity culture, being modest, never showing midriff, never showing like spaghetti straps versus being in diet culture. Oh, you're not allowed to wear that. You can't wear crop tops if you have that. Right. So it's like the policing of women's bodies as far as what they wear, this sort of like good and bad. Right. That's very, it's like very black and white, very dogmatic. And then I think the thing that like is most in common between the two of them is uh, punishment. Welcome to Weighing In on Happy, the only podcast that dives deep into discussions around weight, eating disorders, mental health, body image, intuitive eating, wellness, confidence, and so much more. Each week, you'll be coached through different stories and strategies on how to start living your best life today. So if you're ready, here's your host, Victoria Evans. So before we dig into this episode, I actually just wanted to share something that I'm really proud of myself for. So last week, I had M&Ms, gummy bears, fuzzy peaches, jube jubes, chocolate cover candies, wine gums, the works. All of that was sitting in a bag on top of my fridge for over a week. I forgot about it. And remember, I'm the girl who used to only keep coffee in her kitchen because of how fearful she was around food, how out of control she felt, and how powerless. I'm the girl who felt like her entire world revolved around food and her body. But now, I'm keeping food in the house that used to be my trigger food, and I'm forgetting about it. I no longer use food as a way to numb out and dissociate and distract every night when I'm watching Netflix. I feel confident in who I am, and I see my body as my friend and not my enemy. And these are such huge wins for me, but the best thing is that I feel like I'm finally proud of myself because I show up for myself and I trust myself. And that used to be foreign to me. And now all these transformations, that did not happen overnight for me. It was not an accident. I spent years crafting and perfecting my science-based methods packed with tools and life-changing information, and now I teach them to my clients. I give them my EAT strategy, education, accountability, and tools, and they are unstoppable. And it's by using this specific strategy that it's changed my life. And now with all this time and energy and freedom that I have, I actually quit my corporate job a few years ago. I started my own business. I host this podcast and I moved to Bali for two years. I traveled all over the world. And most importantly, I finally started living. Now my next stop on my life of freedom, Portugal in September. My question to you is what will your life look like once you have freedom as well? Well, the good news is you won't actually have to wait much longer to find out because I have a huge announcement coming next week for those of you that are ready to finally be free to eat intuitively, to work with your body, not against it, and feel fucking fantastic. So new program alert, no more food drama, no more food guilt, rules, shame, fear, or sabotage. So stay tuned. I'm going to be announcing more here on the podcast and keep your eyes peeled for what's coming next. I am so excited because on the Weighing In on Happy podcast today, I have Holly Toronto. Holly is a certified master level coach through Health Coach Institute and has four years of experience helping driven women stop dieting and build resilience to toxic beauty messages. She uses an intuitive and spiritual approach that guides her clients towards self-trust, confidence, and sovereignty over their entire being, body, mind, and soul. 
From this place, her clients are able to make self-guided decisions and finally live the life they desire in the body they live in today. So welcome to the podcast, Holly. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation because I don't know much about this topic, which makes me want to dig into it, dive deep with you and ask so many questions. So can you, before we kind of go too far, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Holly Toronto, as, as you've already said, I am a certified health coach through health coach Institute. Um, I love them. I've learned so much from them. Um, and I have been working in the space of body image and intuitive eating for about the past four years. So that's predominantly where my work has been. However, um, because of my own experience and story, there's, um, which I'm sure we'll get into, there's um, a new part of the work that I'm doing has emerged in terms of um, sexuality and sensuality and how much that relates to the body, especially for people who might have grown up in a religious environment that taught them to disconnect from their sexuality um, as if it was something to be shameful and and ashamed of and that's wrong. And so I've really started to kind of pull that into my work, sort of this intersection of body image and spirituality and sexuality. That's incredible. I'm like, I love how when we have these kind of experiences we're going on, we kind of end up answering questions that we never knew. Like, I don't know about you, but I never knew I'd be falling into this work. Like it was never like, I'm going to grow up in being a, be a science-based intuitive eating coach. You know, my parents literally thought I was having, you know, a mental breakdown when I left for Bali and <laughs> started doing this work. So how did you get into this? So you're saying you became, you know, your health coach, but like, how did that whole journey kind of start for you? Yeah. And same here. I did not grow up wanting to be a body image and intuitive eating and sexuality, sensuality coach. Like I actually, there's kind of like a long and winding um, story that kind of brought me to where I am today. And I'll try not to share the full heroine's journey. Feel free to interject if there's anything you want me to you know, say more on. But so I grew up in, um, in Rochester, New York. I grew up where there's a lot of, you know, religious, religious history <laughs> in that place. Like Mormonism started there. I'm not a Mormon, but like, there's just a lot of like Christian roots in that area. And so I grew up what would be considered a born again Christian. And, uh, in the nineties and the early two thousands, when the height of the purity movement was really happening. And for those who don't know what the purity movement is, the purity movement is, um, a, a movement that encouraged young people to abstain from sex until marriage. And they used a variety of techniques, one being um, shame to, to get you to uh, really disconnect from the part of you that wanted to be, experience sexual pleasure and connect with another person or even yourself in that way by telling you that if you did that, um, your body would be dirty and you perhaps would not go to heaven. And so learning this from like very young formative ages of around like five or six years old was like obviously integral to my uh, relationship to my body and our relationships to our bodies, our body image, as you know, as a coach, like forms from many different mm-hmm. intersecting factors, whether that's religion or race or background or whatever it might be. And so this was really, really integral in how I started to see my body. And and that manifested itself as I got into like my teenage years when my sexuality was waking up, which is totally normal, by the way, looking back on it for teenagers, even younger, like adolescents for their sexuality to be awakened. And knowing that I couldn't express that, right? Knowing that it was actually shameful, feeling like it was actually shameful for me to experience that caused me to kind of direct that frustration and anger back at how my body looked. And so that manifested itself as, you know, uh, like extreme body image issues, disordered eating from a very young age. And that sort of followed me all the way into my early twenties 
um, when I, because I moved to New York City when I was 18 to pursue a career in the fashion industry, got a career in the fashion industry, obviously a very image-centric industry. I don't think that was an accident. And um, really found myself like getting into all of the, the diets and the restriction and over-exercising and all of that kind of stuff while simultaneously kind of pulling away from my faith because re- recognizing like, hey, that really doesn't resonate with who I am anymore. But interestingly, like that mentality around purity still was like super entrenched in my being. And so even though I wasn't like saving myself for marriage anymore, purity was something that still felt like it was paramount. So that as an, as an adult person that manifested itself in me getting really heavily involved in the pure, pure foods movement. So I wanted my body to be this like clean and pure temple through only putting like clean and organic and all of that stuff into my body. And I thought I was doing that for like health reasons, right? Because I also struggled with acne and all of, and, and some digestive issues and things like that. And so I had gone on this very extreme elimination diet that was supposed to be very temporary, uh, ended up it was like, it's supposed to be six weeks. I ended up on it for a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Because well, many things, one being that like I started to receive praise and accolades for losing weight on this diet and then became a health coach because of that. So my identity became super wrapped up in me maintaining this like pure diet. So it's like if my identity and my safety and my um, worthiness was wrapped up in my sexual purity at one point, now it was like wrapped up in like how pure I could be with my food. And it was really, really interesting to reflect on. Um, But anyways, fast forward, I had started my business from this paradigm of like helping people lose weight through pure foods and restriction and all of those things. But like for me, it was actually really insidious in that my hair was falling out and I was constantly stressed and anxious around food and uh, my skin wasn't clearing up, which was the reason that I actually went on this diet to begin with. And so somehow the book intuitive eating landed in my lap. (laughs) And I was like, at first I thought intuitive eating was like, oh, this is going to make me just like, you know, listen to my body and only want to eat like fruit and like whole foods. And, and, (laughs) but when I started to read it, I was like, oh no, I have a very disordered relationship with food that I need to work on. And I don't want to perpetuate this for other people. And so that was sort of my entry point into my own healing process. Fast forward many years, it's now led me to a place of like, you know, having my own really peaceful relationship with food in my body, which then opened me up to connecting with my sexuality and my sensuality in a whole new way. And then bringing that into my work with my clients. Wow. That's an incredible story. (laughs) And it's so interesting to me because I grew up closer to agnostic atheist. Mm -hmm. Like my family is very heavily science-based, which I I became a science-based student being a coach. So it all kind of made sense in that realm. But um, when it comes to this idea of like the purity and the shaming, it's so interesting how we can kind of get to those places where we kind of turned on our body and kind of hate ourselves from different kind of drivers. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of it for me was thinking that, you know, I, I can't show emotion because I have to be perfect in this family and I have to show up um, in a certain way, be very athletic, be very intelligent. And all the kind of feelings of I'm not perfect enough was turned onto my body. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowing to express myself like emotionally or just in any capacity. But then same thing, you know, like you were saying where that is the same thing. It's kind of like, it's just in a different kind of, you know, disguise essentially, but all very similar drivers around having to be a certain way, fit a certain mold, which doesn't fit in with 
being human, Mm. which then drives the feelings of shame and like, I'm broken. What's wrong with me, which almost makes us double down harder because then we're like, Oh, I'm just not perfect enough. I'm not pure enough. And if I was just a bit more pure, then I could do this. Or if I was just a little bit better with my dieting or just a little bit better with this, then I would be happy. And it's like this chasing smoke. Well, yeah. And and what you're touching on right now is exactly the reason why I feel like spirituality is, is, an integral part of body image healing, because mm-hmm. even though I don't identify as a, a born again Christian anymore, or even a Christian in general, like I identify as a very spiritual person. And I really feel like my spirituality is what, um, amongst many things, but like help me come back to my body in a really loving, nurturing, sustainable way. Because what you're talking about with like this chasing smoke, like I often talk about it as like, um, when we put too much salt on our food and we need to add more and more salt in order to get that like satisfying salty taste, right. When Mm -hmm. when our taste buds become like oversensitized, um, that's what happens when we're constantly searching for this external thing in order to fill us. Right. So whether it's the perfect body or, you know, when we're younger and it's the grades, but then when we're adults, it's like success, money, relationships, all of these like societal markers of success, right. It becomes this like, void in us where it's like never enough, never enough, never enough. And you see that so often with people who struggle with body image, it's like, no matter how thin they get, no matter how perfect they are in their diet, it's never enough, never enough, never enough. And so when I'm focusing on body image healing from a spirituality perspective, it's actually like coming back to the, our core sense of wholeness, right? That like we as human beings, which is like, this is the opposite of if you grew up in any sort of uh, patriarchal religion, this is the exact opposite. Cause in patriarchal religions, you start as unworthy, you start as unwhole and you have to like earn it from that place. But like, if we come back to what I actually believe is true is that we all start as whole. We all start as complete just as we are. And from that really whole and complete and solid place, right? That's when we get to manifest and create and live into the life that we so desire. And it doesn't matter the external manifestations of that because we're whole and complete within ourselves. Mm. I love this idea of being whole and complete because we are, right? And then so many things like we have to fix ourselves. Like you said, get back to this, you know, or build purity or get back to a place of purity, like whatever. And it's just, it's exhausting. It's it's so tiring. You know, when I was on this crazy journey of mine where, you know, like, yeah, my hair was falling out. I lost my period. I was severely anorexic. I was going on like 30, 35 kilometer runs, like multiple days a week. And I just like, if I just get to this and then I'll get to that weight. And I was like, okay, but just get to this weight. And like my brain kept telling me, it's like, if you just do a little bit more, a little bit more because there was no happiness and fulfillment when I got there, it led me to believe that I had to keep going, which it's just a horrible way to live. And then, yeah, that can be weight loss. That can be the job, the career, but it's never, it's never going to be enough. And so coming back to like, Hey, you're already whole to begin with, instead of trying to fill all these things into that void, it's kind of like this internal, um, yeah, internal sense of completion, wholeness, instead of trying to fill it in with external things. Cause it's just, it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. That's it. That's exactly it. Which can also really be a sense of shattering of identity. Like I know for myself, I had spent my whole life really believing, like once I get to this point, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to start living and then getting to those points. And it was like, who am I? Like, what, what is this? My whole life is centered around looking a certain way. And I've got to this point, all my everything. And I really had to kind of mourn and grieve this sense of identity, this sense of self, because all of a sudden everything in my life, it was no longer as it seemed. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the identity shattering piece of this is like so big for so many people because it really is like if we speak about it in sort of like the ego highest self terms, right? Like our ego is totally being shattered. I mean, like so many people have built identities around, yeah, body, like body being perfect. I know for myself, my I had like the identity of being um, like I think intuitive eating talks about being like on the nutrition pedestal. Right. So like everyone came to me and like, oh, Holly's so good. Right. She's always, you know, eating so disciplined and so perfect. And and like to let that go. Right. Mm -hmm. To like knock myself off that nutrition pedestal was going to be like it's going to rock my world in many ways. And, And many people aren't going to get it. And like who like the question of like, who am I? without this, right? It's a very daunting question, right? Um, But I would also say, you know, and I'm sure you experience this with your clients as well. It's also incredibly hopeful because it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And and that's, that's why I use terms like coming home to yourself or homecoming or returning to wholeness, because you get to come back to the purest essence of who you are um, and really kind of uncover that in many ways. And I, that's why I feel like body image and intuitive eating is, is, is like, it's a gateway home to the the fullest expression of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what's scarier than losing a sense of identity, having built all these things is never stepping into your true identity because you were too afraid to let go of this world you'd created for yourself. That was never really meant to be yours. That's it. Yeah. And so you talked, talked about shame and obviously shame is such a huge component of disordered eating, eating disorders, body image. Like it's really just like the propellant, like the gas for all, like the fuel for everything, I guess I would say. Um, and so how does shame really, you know, prevent us from experiencing the fullness of our humanity and our spirituality? Mm. Oh my gosh. That's, I mean, it, 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 it is like the thing I think that, that causes us from experiencing the fullness of our humanity. I think, you know, Brene Brown says it perfectly right I know, right we could just oh so Brene, Brene Brown shout out <laughs> yeah like she's like shame is it, like guilt is is I did something bad versus shame is I am bad mm-hmm. right and so when we are walking around in our lives from this lens of I am bad right I am unworthy I am not good enough And I need that thing in order to make me feel good enough. It's like what we said before, it's never actually going to fit to, 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 to fill it. Right. And, and the thing with shame is that this is not my original thought. I forget this might be a Brene Brown thing or somebody, another shame, shame person, but like shame will never promote healing. Mm -hmm. It never will. It will always keep us in this place of I'm not enough right? It, it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy versus being able to like, and again, with, with food, like I'm of the belief that like, there's no food that you could possibly eat that would make you bad. Like, let's just be very, very clear here. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's yeah. no body you could live in that would ever make you bad, right? There's no body you could live in that would ever make you bad. Um, but when we're walking around from that place, right, we are in many ways per- expecting ourselves to be perfect. We are expecting ourselves to not be human. We are actually making ourselves into objects, right? Mm. Objects, there's quality control, 
objects, you know, go through these purity tests to make sure that they can like, you know, be put on the shelf and be sold. Right. But not human beings, not human beings. Human beings are not objects. Human beings are multifaceted and dynamic and complex. And within each of us is goodness. Within each of us is the capacity to do harm. Right. Within each of us is a capacity to feel joy, sadness, anger. We are dynamic, uh, multifaceted beings. Right. And when we are just living through this lens of of like shame and I am bad, we're cutting ourselves off from the fullness of who we are. Mm. Yes. And I like as you're saying that, like what kind of popped into mind was like shame drives self-objectification. Yes. And there is never a way that we can feel human. If we, like you're saying, treat ourselves as an object, and that is very much driven by this shame and this seeking of perfection. But yeah, as humans, it's not going to happen. And that's what's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be. And it's a striving for it that lets it, it prevents us from, you know, fully experiencing our life. And so, something that I hear a lot of, um, you know, influencers, you know, body image people promoting is this idea like, you're more than a body, you know, you're not just um, like, it's it's just your, your vessel that's carrying you around, um, which is a very interesting concept to kind of think about, especially if you're someone who's maybe kind of lived like a floating head and not connected to your body. Um, and so when you're kind of working with clients around healing their body image, what do you work with them around instead of using the term, like I'm more than a body? Yeah. Because to me, it's, it's a both. And I think that like that mentality and that framework for a healing body image is important to, and, but like, I would, I think there's a word missing there, right? I am more than how my body looks versus I'm more than a body, right? Because the truth is, is that we are bodies, right? <laughs> this is a true fact. Yes. Confirmed. <laughs> we cannot, cannot like scientists here, yeah. we cannot deny that. Right. We, yeah. we are bodies. And yes, like if I, this is stuff I don't know about, but like, you know, somebody who might be like more spiritual, like, like connected to more like new age spirituality or whatever, like, but you have auras and you have things outside of you, but like, yes. And like our very essence, our soul lives inside of this body. Right. And so yes to, yes to, to really acknowledging that we are more than how our body looks. But I think that that, again, separates us or that like the work can't stop there because we also have to come back to the fact that we are bodies, right? And content with being a human being living in a body, which is arguably the harder thing to do than just being like, I am, you know, I'm just like, I'm more than this body, right? It's it's arguably harder to be like, well, now I'm going to live and be and experience and actually live in partnership with this body. Right. And so the place that I come from with my clients is instead of, instead of just stopping at I'm more than a body is actually to acknowledge that your body is a person. And the way that we do that is to a couple of things. One, well, a few that I see if I can get through, through all of these, but the first one is instead of calling your body an it or a vessel or a vehicle, can you actually start to relate to your body with the pronouns pronouns that you identify with? Meaning, can you start calling your body she? Can you start calling your body her? They, them, he, him, right? Really starting to relate to this being as a human being. Um, so when I talk about my body, I'll always refer to her as she, right? With my clients who identify in that way, I will refer to their bodies as she. Um, the next piece of this is to also recognize that you are in partnership with your body, right? So I I always like to say that like your body is your original life partner, 
right? Not the partner that you're with now, not your friends, not like not anybody else. Your body is your original life partner. Mm -hmm. And the foundation of any strong and sustainable partnership, right? Trust, communication, love, connection. Um, I would, I would venture to guess that those, I mean, maybe this isn't always true, at least for sustainable partnerships, but like there's a deep sense of love, love beyond physical attraction. What we know is that, you know, relationships that are built just solely on physical attraction, like they generally don't last, right? <laughs> right. And so mm. building a loving partnership with your body means going beyond just physical attraction. Ooh, I just want to pause just to like take yeah. that in, like a deep in like longing, like loving um, relationship can't just be based on appearances. Mm-hmm. Like that in itself is just like this kind of a very revolutionary way to think about connecting to your body. Because I mean, it sounds so simple. Like, of course, if I'm just focusing on, you know, what someone looks like, I'm never going to build a deep connection with them yet because we're so quick to self-objectify and see your body as an object. It, it never really crosses our mind to build a deeper connection. And then we get mad at ourselves when our weight changes or we look a different way because it is such a superficial, you know, relationship we've built with ourselves where of course those little tiny changes in appearance are going to be earth shattering. If that's the only thing we're basing our you know relationship off of. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Sorry, let me just cut you off. I was just like, no, 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 that's and just like marinating this in a second and then carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, like that. I mean, it is, it's so important to really pull that apart and like anchor into that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like especially knowing that we will live in many different bodies throughout the course of our lives, right? Yeah. Like the same body that you were in when you were five is not the same body you're in when you're 25. 35, 45, 90, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like your body, our bodies are meant to grow and change with us, right? It's not, we were never meant. And then like, that's, that's one thing that comes up with a lot of clients. It's like, oh, I just want to like either look like myself again, or I want to get back to where I was. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but back to where you were, right? Like is a rejection of who you are now. Mm right? Like all that you've, because most of the clients that I've worked with are like, you know, very accomplished people and, you know, they've had families and careers or started businesses or podcasts or like, you know, they have so much that they've accomplished in their lives. And it's like, oh, you want to go back to your twenties? Like I personally would never want to go back to my twenties. Like (laughs) don't send me back there. Right. I'll I'll forego the body of my twenties to have, to be the person that I am in my thirties. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's like, that's really, really important for us to know. Um, and I think like when we talked about, when we talk about objectification, um, this can feel, this can make people feel a little bit ashamed. Uh, like, oh, like, you know, I'm objectifying myself or I'm objectifying others. What I just want people to know is that like, everyone does this. Uh, we are like taught to do this. We are Mm -hmm. socialized to do this. Um, Much of what we're consuming from very young ages, especially as women and young girls is teaches us to objectify ourselves. And so know that um, it's not solely your fault. And there's simple things that you can do to practice moving away from objectification of both yourself and others. And I think the others piece of it is just as important because Mm -hmm. if we're doing it to ourselves, chances are we're doing it to other people too. And so one thing that I like to tell people to do is actually practice seeing somebody as more than just their external appearance. So like right now, Victoria, I'm sitting here looking at you and I see you have like nice, like beautiful wavy brown hair and you have these gorgeous (laughs) eyes and this beautiful smile. And I'm seeing like all of these physical attributes of you. 
But if I just try a little bit harder, right? If I go beyond surface level, I also see that you're a very passionate person, right? I see that you're, you're very kind. You have a joyful spirit, right? You, you loved, you love to learn. Like that's what I'm, and this is just from knowing you for like 30 minutes, right? But like, we can all do that. We can all practice actually seeing other people as more than just their physical appearance. Um, and then in turn, we can actually give that to ourselves as well. Mm. So many good things to touch on there, but just like going <laughs> off that last point, like it's, it's so true when we're, you know, I used to, uh, you know, objectify other people. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe that girl's skirt is so short. She's so slutty, blah, blah, blah. Not realizing that was a projection of my own insecurities onto other people. So anytime you're judging anyone and, you know, around you, realize you're literally just holding up a mirror to yourself. Cause I knew I would never wear something like that because I wasn't confident enough in my body. Mm-hmm. And now I see people you know, wearing little shorts or whatever. And I'm just like, you go girl, like own yes. that, feel confident yes. in that body because I've worked through all the things that I felt were so shameful about myself that I've had to keep covered and I was embarrassed of and whatever. Um, and so when we're doing that practice with other people, whether it be in terms of, you know, their external appearance, but I love going a little bit deeper in terms of what is beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. Like what can we really see about them that is truly them, not this external shell that is constantly morphing and changing as it's supposed to, right? The only constant mm-hmm. in life is change. Mm-hmm. And we get so attached to that as our metric of worthiness and success. Like you're in for a bumpy ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yes, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. And yet diet culture really just propagates this idea that we should look a certain way and getting back to what you, you know, quote unquote, were looking like before. And it's like, why? Like you said, I, I don't want to go back. Um, that's who I was, not who I am now. And it's just like a disservice to all those years of our life we've lived because, you know, our body's just kind of an extension essentially of like all the amazingness that we are. And it kind yes. of embodies all of that. So speaking of diet culture, I want to circle back to, you know, religious purity culture. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how those two intersect together? Because this is something, you know, we touched on it in the beginning around shame, um, but I'd love to go a little bit deeper with you. Oh, yes. Okay. So I, I have a theory. Here's my yes. hypothesis. I'm excited. From my, my science friends out there. Yes. Um, I think that diet culture and purity culture are actually the exact same thing. <laughs> but if you look at the parallels between the two of them, it's actually pretty f- profound in, in terms of like first and foremost. And again, many people might not agree with, with me on this, but like this is the what I've observed. Uh, disproportionately affects women, right? Diet mm-hmm. culture, yes, impacts men and people of all genders for sure. But 91% of women are, are dissatisfied with their bodies. This we know. This is fact, right? Um, we have the research on that. Purity culture disproportionately affected women because women were made responsible for men's actions towards them, mm. right? So men were also encouraged to remain pure, but their, the onus of responsibility on keeping the men pure fell on the woman, right? Which is actually very similar to diet culture where it's like when it comes to like attractiveness because a lot of what our people do or are seeking, right? When they are seeking to change their bodies, right? Is, is to attract, to be more desirable to either, uh, you know, the opposite sex or somebody that they're attracted to, right? So it's, it's this like external pleasing between the two of them. There's um, both of them are the policing of women's bodies in terms of what they can wear. So in purity culture, being modest, never showing midriff, never showing like spaghetti straps or like I, I couldn't wear spaghetti straps as a kid, um, no matter how hot it was, uh, versus being in diet culture, 
oh, you're not allowed to wear that. You can't wear crop tops if you have that. Right. So it's like the policing of women's bodies as far as what they wear. Um, this sort of like good and bad. Right. That's very it's like very black and white, very dogmatic. Um, and then at the root of it, too, is like I think the thing that like is most in common between the two of them um, is is a punishment. Right. There's a sense of like if I don't adhere to these rules, if I don't ignore my body. Right. If I don't shove down these desires, if I don't deny myself, right, then I will be punished. An impurity culture that looks like you're not going to have the, the partnership that you want, right? You might go to hell. There's like eternal damnation, right? right? Whereas in diet culture, it's like, well, so many people believe that their best life is on the other side of them losing that weight, right? I'll never have access to the life that I want. And so at the root of it is like this deep sense of punishment that's anchored into shame. Mm. I, I love this hypothesis. I would, you know, make a notion that I think it's could be held true. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, because it, everything you're saying completely lines up. And it's so interesting, whether it be like diet culture or kind of this idea of religious purity culture, how it, it isn't always apparent to us and someone until someone says it. Mm-hmm. It's like we're living in it and we're in this kind of little bubble. And then it's like someone pops a bubble, like through this kind of conversation for me, understanding this more. And it's like, oh my God, like I had no idea how deep it runs because you're just in it. It's like a, you're a fish swimming in the ocean. You don't realize you're in the ocean. You're just like, yeah. this is just my life. Yeah. Someone kind of points it out. And so for someone listening to this, who's like, yeah, this is super resonating. I grew up feeling a lot of shame around this. I kind of have that intersection of, you know, diet culture with purity culture. What is something they can do, you know, today to really start to break out of that? Mm. Yeah, I would say, and, and like, just a side note too, I don't know, cause you grew up in Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what sex education was like in Canada in, in your day, but in my day, sex education in the U S was abstinence-based. Oh my God. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were like putting, we were like putting bananas on condoms and yeah. glass and like yeah. joking, running around, chasing each other. With- <laughs> nope. I mean, I don't think I, I think I did. We did have the, uh, like, I think my, my health teacher put a condom up her arm and like, that was it, but we never played with them. We never touched them. Right. Um, and even though they taught us about, okay, you know, penetrative sex can lead to pregnancy, like, or like penetrative sex, like this is what sex is the, at the root of it. It was like the only way it's like the mean girls scene, right? Like mm-hmm. do not have sex. Do not have sex missionary. Do not have sex standing up. Cause you will get pregnant and you will die. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's satire, but it's like, it's what, but it's yeah many, many learned, um, at least here in the U S regardless of whether you grew up in Christianity or not. And so I don't know how many of your listeners are US based or whatever, just knowing that like, and that narrative, because purity culture is also a part of rape culture, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's there, those two, there's, there's many intersections here. So, that we yeah. Purity culture and rape culture, it's cancel culture, all of that, all of them intertwine with one another. They're all at the root of them as like punishment and shame. Um, but rape culture, yeah, it like puts the onus on the, on the woman right? It's like, oh, she asked for it. So that was like a tangent just to say like, even if for for many, even if you didn't grow up in evangelical Christianity, it's also possible that you grew up in purity culture because you learned abstinence-based sex sex education and onus was a place on the girl and, you know, slut shaming and all that kind of stuff was like a real thing. So just naming that, but for people who, you know, resonate with this experience, um, who are looking for something that they could do now 
in order to really start supporting themselves. I would say like, this is, this is what I'm about to say is like something that I've uncovered by working with coaches and healers and doing like a lot of self-inquiry, but it's more of a, uh, like a reflection that I want to offer to people is what if it were true that your body and your sexuality belong to you? Right. What if your body didn't belong to society? Right. What if your body and your sexuality didn't even belong to your partner or the opposite sex? What if it all truly belonged to you? You were the final say on on your body and your sexuality and your sensuality. Then how would you allow yourself to express that? Mm. So it's it's more of a a reflection and a getting curious on like where you might still be giving your power away and what you would like to be experiencing instead of that. That's absolutely amazing and and so actionable. So like anyone listening right now, get out your journal, slide the little thing back, push pause, <laughs> like write that down and genuinely take some time to reflect on that because until we do that and bring that awareness, we're just kind of operating as if this is totally fun. This is totally normal. And it's like, it's not normal to feel like, you know, we don't have any autonomy over our own, our own life, our own body. Um, but until we take that second to really check in, it, it can feel like we don't, and we don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before my, I ask my last question to you, where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, probably on Instagram would be the best place. They can just go to, uh, holly.toronto on Instagram. That's my, that's my handle. And then I also have my own podcast called return to wholeness, where I'm exploring a lot of the intersections of purity culture, uh, diet culture, all of the cultures, let's just say like um, ideologies, things like that, that intersect with one another and cause us to fragment ourselves in order to feel love and safety and belonging. Amazing. So I'll put that all below in the show notes. You guys can easily access it. And then my last question I ask all of my guests. So the name of my podcast is weighing in on happy. The question I ask all of my guests, if you had to weigh in on one thing that makes you happy, it's a totally subjective question. So what makes you happy? Mm. Oh, the first thing that came to mind is my dog. (laughs) He makes because he's just pure joy. Like he he's got big feelings. He's a cancer um, for for my astrology (laughs) fans and friends out there. So he's super emotional. Um, So he feels like his his feels really strongly. But like when he feels joy, I feel it, too. And he's just like the most pure, delightful little creature ever. And he makes me so happy. It makes me happy just thinking about it. It makes me think of my dog Myers. Like every single morning he comes into my bed and we just snuggle together for like 20 minutes. He just like, he's like 110 pounds. He's this massive dog. He flops his head on my chest and we're just like chatting about the day. (laughs) What are you up to? So silly, but it's like, it brings me so much joy and so much happiness. So thank you so much for coming on today. I've learned so much. I'm really excited to bring this kind of awareness and these kind of conversations to my life. So just thank you so much again. And everyone definitely go and check out Holly. Thank you. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, then I invite you to please rate and review on Apple. It means so much to me and I would so appreciate you. Now, if you're interested to learn more about my one-on-one coaching program, 90 Days to Food Freedom, then please check out my website at www.victoriaevansofficial.com forward slash programs where you can learn more about how to work with me. And if you're not already following me on Instagram, please do. It's at Victoria Evans official. Definitely shoot me a DM. I'm always doing little trainings, giving little tips as well as sharing my stories. So I'd love to have you there. Oh, and I'm always dancing. 
And if you're looking for even more support, coaching, community, trainings, all of that, then definitely join my Facebook group, Intuitive Eating Support Group for Badass Women. And of course, all this will be below for you in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.